episode 368, How to Successfully Roll Out New Benefit Designs to Employees and New Care Delivery Models at a Provider Organization. Today, I speak with Ashley Gunter. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. People are averse to change. It's a thing. It's a thing that affects even those of us who consider ourselves highly educated and or very smart. Nobody likes disruption or even worse, the prospect of disruption and the uncertainty that goes along with that. Nobody likes to feel like the rug just got pulled out from under them or that they've lost control of something, especially something important like their health benefits or how they care for patients. Changes to health insurance and healthcare from any angle are fraught with stress. A big reason for this is because health and healthcare are filled with so-called one-way door types of decisions and decision points. If I cannot get the care I need today, or if the care I want to provide today to a patient does not go as desired, I feel like the door is one way. Once I make a decision, I cannot go back. I can't click undo on that and go back through the door and arrive at yesterday. Health decisions, therefore, have a very, you got one shot at this kind of feel. And it's that right there that just upped the ante considerably in the stress department for employees and then also for any clinician who is working with patients. It's life or death. And this is why making changes either to the insurance side or the care side of the equation feel like they will be so disruptive. It's a big reason why some self-insured employers or even fully insured employers won't mess with the status quo benefit designs or switch up their EBC, their employee benefit consultant or their ASO TPA. Even if everybody in the entire company is currently complaining about the price and complexity of said status quo, it's kind of like the devil that you know. And even if it's possible to offer employees overall better quality care at lower prices, meaning that everybody in the company could get a raise funded by the sometimes massive savings that could be had. I just heard a union leader the other day, and she said that every worker would have an extra five grand in their pocket if their health care costs were what they should be. So for many employers, the prospect of disruption is just too much. It's not in the CHRO's job description to open that Pandora's box. Nobody gets fired for doing what they did last year, I guess, until they do. One straw or another is going to break the camel's back after all. But in the meantime, we have this fear-induced festering inertia. Let me just point out one thing. Implicit in everything that I just said is the notion that one day everyone will have their familiar insurance cards snugly tucked in their wallet. And then the next day, it will be ripped from their bloody fingers in a violent and unexpected fashion. Or let's talk about provider organizations now. Say one's trying to move from the world of fee-for-service to the world of value-based payment structures with downstream risk or direct contracts with employers. To do this well, let's chat about one aspect of this that health systems seem to struggle with that's been a topic of some conversation lately. There's a link in the show notes to an article cautioning that practicing at the top of one's license, in air quotes, and its attendant need for team-based care is a giant fail and or a money grab, or it could be. And it could be both of those things, don't get me wrong. Team-based care isn't a homogeneous construct. It would be like saying that all movies are bad because 
super baby geniuses too with such a dog. I mean, team-based care, pretty much like team-based anything, if it's not implemented well, nobody on the team knows what they're supposed to be doing and nobody is accountable. There's no infrastructure supporting it. There was no testing or iteration or discussion about the intent. No one actually on the proposed teams was even consulted about the whole idea. And so everyone starts to suspect, maybe rightfully or maybe not, that it's all financially driven and a cost-cutting exercise. On the show today, my guest, Ashley Gunter, warns about all of these exact things. You switch something up without going through the proper steps and stages. Everybody gets very suspicious. And nothing for nothing, their suspicion could be the least of the leader's problems. The initiative's ensuing failure maybe should be their biggest concern. Which is a shame if something was done in the spirit of better patient care, for example. Because there's tons of research on the immense power of well-functioning teams, as just continuing this one example. And there's just as much research and well-proven case studies showing that innovative benefit designs can be a 365-degree win when they cut out wasteful spending and navigate employees and plan members to high-value care. For all of these reasons and more, I wanted to get Ashley Gunter, who is an expert in change management, on the show today to talk about how to succeed when you want to change something as touchy as healthcare and health insurance. This all really goes back to the show with Matt Anderson, MD, MBA, which was episode 266, and Robert Pearl, MD, writes about all the time. It's a skill we all need to learn to lead change. Many of us had to learn this the hard way because we see our vision so clearly and we want to make it a reality as fast as possible. But the result of our enthusiasm might be that we skip implementation steps that are really not optional. As Thomas Edison said, and I love this, having a vision for what you want is not enough. Vision without execution is hallucination. So to transform anything effectively, we have to put as much effort into the implementation as we do into the strategy. If we don't do that, then sadly, despite all of the best intentions, whatever we're trying to do is not going to work and it might be labeled disruptive. So I couldn't be more pleased to have learned a thing or two from Ashley Gunter about change management that avoids this disruption label. Ashley Gunter is president of Translucent Healthcare Consulting. She also is an expert in change management, as aforementioned, and how to help align employees and staff so that an organization can move forward together. According to Ashley, there's five steps to effective change management that will ensure success, and we talk about all of them in the show today. First step is having great leadership. Second is creating a case for the change. Third is finding champions, engaging people who have to change so that they can contribute and be supportive. Fourth is to over-communicate. And then five is to measure how things are going and also celebrate small triumphs. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Ashley Gunter, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thanks, Stacey. I'm glad to be here. We talk about transforming healthcare. A lot of times we talk about how employers, self-insured employers, could harness their sort of latent power as the ultimate purchasers of healthcare and level up the health plans that they offer their employees to improve outcomes and appreciably lower costs at the same exact time. 
And I think what gets sort of lost in that glossy statement that I just said is, I mean, I hear stories, not good ones, about how some, you know, employer tried to do something that was pretty creative and had the best of intentions and it failed. But let's talk about change management in that context. That, that's right. It's, it's, that story is so common, even from employers who think I'm doing something great for my employee population. We have this mindset of if we communicate to people, then they're going to like it, right? We're going to tell them in advance and, and they're going to understand that we are inherently good people and, and we're making this change for them. The reality is that communication in and of itself isn't change management. I will tell you 100% of the time when I actually go through the process with an organization of building a change management plan, we get employees that really want the new health benefits and are excited by it. And when we don't do that, and I've seen it over and over again, we get people who don't trust that management is doing this for their benefit. They think that the executive team is just trying to save a buck. Healthcare is such an emotional thing for people. Not taking the time to invest in the process of change management is really super detrimental to getting to the place that you have good health outcomes and lower cost and providers who are paid fairly. It's so important. Yeah, it just reminds me of there's a, a parable or a quote or, or something, which is sometimes the shortest way home is the long way around. Because from what you're saying, it sounds like you have a case study here. You've got same type of employer, same type of employees. One employer really considers that this is a change that requires escorting employees through a change management process or does a change management approach. It goes well. Case study B, employer just is like, hey, we're going to do this. Let's do it quick. And the outcome is the exact opposite. It doesn't go well. And all of the negative things that you just talked about happen. So let's talk about change management for a sec. Like, is it a yep. science? Is it a discipline? <laughs> what is it? What are we talking about here? I would say yes and. It is a science, but it's also an art. Change management is the process that an organization and good leaders use to help employees move through the process of change. There's nothing rocket science about it. I honestly, when people say change management, often people think it's either a communication plan or it's something super esoteric that causes us all to sit in a circle, hold hands and sing kumbaya, which is absolutely not the case. It is truly a set of steps that we go through to build some leadership, build a case for change, help engage pop the stakeholder population, help them understand what's going to happen in this change, communicate over and over and over again, and then actually celebrate once that change is made and talk about the amazing things that we've accomplished as a team. From what I understand, there are five main steps in a change management process. You mentioned before that the first step is great leadership. What do you mean by great leadership? What does great leadership look like? Change starts at the top in any organization, whether it's healthcare or any other situation. You have to have a sponsor who fundamentally believes that making a change in your benefits plan is the right thing for the employees and the right thing for the organization. 
And you have to have a leader that's willing to say that over and over and over again. And then, you know, we ask that leader to build a team around him or her to help be the advocates for that change. Without that leadership team, the project will fail. Whether it's a benefits change or a ERP implementation, doesn't matter. It will fail without leadership. So if the leader is not on board here or is not modeling their behavior in alignment or congruently with the change, then you get what could be, I could see, an insurmountable sort of disconnect. Right. You get a disconnect because if my leader's not engaged, why should I be engaged? You know, there's no incentive for me. There's no benefit for me to do something if my leader doesn't think it's important. So leadership sets the tone. And then step two, uh, after great leadership, is creating the case for change. That's right. One of the things that makes benefits change so hard is that it's so complicated. When we talk about this conceptually, the idea that you're maybe eliminating the insurance company or eliminating the broker from the equation makes perfect sense at a 10,000 foot level. But when you start to drill down into the details of unbundling a healthcare plan, there's lots of complexity there. And frankly, even benefits managers who have been doing this work for years and years and years sometimes don't understand the complexity involved. And so to get through the hard work that it takes to make a change like this, you really have to create that reason to do it. So what's the company reason to make this change happen? Is it that they'd like to reinvest more in their employee population? Is it that they'd like to provide better benefits to their employees? You know, what is it that they're trying to achieve that they can achieve through making this change in a health plan? So getting really clear about that and also getting clear about how the employee population can actually make that change happen is really important because if we think, oh, sure, Mecca exists out there, we can go to this wonderful place, but I don't have any way to get there, then it's much harder to rally a group around trying to get to Mecca if you have no mechanism to get there. So what is it that you're going to do to make this change happen and putting that in plain English? So often insurance colleagues don't speak in plain English because they're talking about the complex details of an unbundled plan or a risk pool or, you know, something that most of us don't talk about at dinner. I often feel like I say, you know, speak English. Speak as if the, if you're speaking to your grandmother and trying to explain to her what's going on. That's so important when you're creating that case for change. It's like, hey, we're going to take your $22,000 a year current premium and reduce it five grand and then give everybody a five grand raise or something. Exactly. What I'm distilling you saying down to is that established behavior patterns, like I call my doctor, I get an appointment, I go, I have this card and I give the card to the doctor and the doctor says, okay. And then, you know, like that whole established pattern might change. Change is always a little scary and a little bit frightening, and it might be a little bit more time consuming for me as an employee, because I'm going to have to learn the new way to do it and then deal with my doctor who may say this or that, right? Like I'm going to have to learn how to navigate in this new space. 
So if I don't clearly understand what I'm getting, like what the what's in it for me is, like if I have to do a little bit of extra work, but I get an extra five grand in my pocket and I'm getting better healthcare result or something like that, I'm much more willing to deal with this sort of short-term pain because the long-term gain is clear. That's 100% it. And that is why the next step is focused on creating change champions. Let's talk about change champions. So this is the single biggest thing after creating great leadership that I think an organization can do to, to create success when making a change in their benefit plan. Bring in individual contributors or supervisors or you know folks who are on the front line who are vocal in the organization, maybe have some influence in the organization in that other people listen to them. Also, I would look for people who are high users of healthcare. Bring them into this conversation. Help them to understand, you know, just like you've helped the leadership team to understand, okay, here's what's possible. Let's talk about crafting a plan together. So bring them in early, let them participate and let them be the advocates to their peers about, hey, I'm going to have to deal with this hassle of explaining to my doctor that I no longer have an Aetna or Cigna or some other symbol on my card that I have this, you know, self-funded plan and it's got our company logo on it. And so I'm going to have to walk the doctor through that. But what I'm going to get out of that is that I don't have a copay to go see my doctor or my premium has been reduced $5,000 or I'm going to get a $5,000 bonus because I've, you know, saved this money at the company. Let your employees talk to their peers about that. It's in those situations that I see the trust being built because it's not management saying, hey, we're going to save money. Now, obviously, the leadership team is also communicating that, but the message is coming from multiple places and it builds trust. Yes. And I think that's very well established. I'm just recalling Jeffrey Moore, the old Crossing the Chasm book that where where this is proven pretty endlessly, that having peer champions who really understand this very well and can talk to their colleagues in the language of their colleagues, you can't say enough about that. And it's a step that, right. that lots of people forget. It's the same thing. And I know we're going to get the, to this later, but people, you know, stick something in the EHR and then wonder why nobody's using it. Or there's an app and they <laughs> wonder why. And then, you know, it's kind of like, well, how many doctors were on the committee? How many nurses were on the committee? How many patients were in that room when this was right. decided? And yeah, it's no surprise. No surprise at all. It's interesting though, because, you know, oftentimes when, companies think about benefits change, they don't apply a change management approach just because they think, oh, this is a simple change. It's just benefits, right? Well, (laughs) when you're talking about transformation and doing some bundled contracts or direct contracts or reference-based pricing or any of the things that you might undertake that lead toward value-based care, it's a real change that impacts your employee population and it should be treated just like any other major change in the organization. Well, I mean, not only is it a major change, but it's also healthcare. Like, could you find anything that people get more stressed out about, right? Let's talk about step four then, which is over-communicate. 
Yeah, my favorite statistic is from John Cotter, who is the expert on change and is a professor at Harvard Business School. He says that most executives underestimate the need for communication by a factor of 10. I see this in my own company, right? I communicate something and I think I've done this really good job. I told a group of people, I told the leaders, I had them cascade, I sent out a message, I put it in the company Slack channel and and I find people who have no idea what I've communicated. And it's simply because there is so much communication that happens in any given organization, the messaging just gets diluted. And so as a leader who is undertaking a major change, it's something you have to focus on over and over and over again. And you probably get sick of of saying it, but that's the way you get to the point that the employees hear the message. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Yeah, and it's the same sort of thing in marketing. Like there's a often cited marketing trope or truism that you have to communicate a marketing message nine times before someone remembers it. And again, although this is very well established, the whole nine times thing, not many people manage it when rolling out internal initiatives. I mean, maybe they're pressed for time. Maybe it's boring to say the same thing nine times. They get bored, but also what happens is people think I'm belittling them because I've already told them this. They don't need to hear it again. Um, So it's interesting the number of rationales that I hear from people. The reality is you just got to say it 10 times. Well, I think also, especially if something is complicated and there's a lot of nuances, the number of communications could help layer on understanding or aspects of it. It's not like they go from zero to 100 on the 10th time. Every single time they hear it, they understand a little bit more. That's absolutely right. We start with those kind of pieces of information that help an employee population get their hands around, like, what's the scope of this problem? And then we begin to move into fixes exist, right? So there are ways for us to impact this problem. There are ways for us as a population to be well and to save money and to compensate our doctors appropriately. And then from there, we start to move into specifics around, okay, so what does that mean here in our organization? Eventually we get to, okay, and how do you use your plan now that you have it? And where do you get support? And who can you call for help? Building from that sort of general of what are we even talking about here through to, okay, I understand my plan. I know who to call when I need help. You know, who's in HR and where I can get support from my concierge provider or my direct primary care doctor. And I feel empowered that I can live a healthy life because I have such great health care. It sounds like you start with the why, you get into the what, like what we're doing here, but then we can't lose track of the how. Exactly. Which I think is the very, very frustrating when when someone finds themselves at loose ends because there's a, they know there's a new process, but they don't know what it is or how to go about it. Exactly. Okay, so let's move into to step five in which we measure. Yes. Yeah, so it's really important, one, that we're getting feedback from the employee population. How did that go? What would have made it easier? Because you can learn from that population, but you also want to measure the success of your plan. 
Are you saving money? Are people getting the care they need? And then we're sharing that information back, not only with the executive team, but with the population on the whole to say, so here are the wins that we're achieving. We know this was a hard road. We know it required change. We know it was a little bit bumpy at times because it will be. But here are the results that we're seeing. So sharing great stories about a particular person who they caught cancer early because they went in to see their doctor early or whatever the story is that's relevant to that particular organization, along with the details around the savings that are being incurred by the organization and reinvested. So it sounds like that last step there not only includes measuring, but then also communicating the successes. Absolutely. Celebrating those wins is a way to cement that we've made this change. It was the right change. Kind of prevents buyer's remorse that occurs sometimes when you hit a bump in the road. Oh yeah, no, this is why we're doing this. Here's the benefit for us as an employee population. And isn't that great? I could also see as being very vital on the provider organization side of the equation as well, because now you know, let's just say there's a direct contract. Well, the provider organization now has a much more vested interest to ensure that those employees are being well taken care of. How does this work on the provider organization side of the equation? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I think we all assume that doctors are really smart people because they are. They've been to medical school. The the challenge is that oftentimes we just assume Doctors are going to understand a different payment model and a different process without us actually spending the time to educate and bring them along through the process. And in my experience, doctors are incredibly smart people, but they didn't go to business school. They went to med school and they have people in their office at the front desk and their nursing staff and their revenue cycle staff. And there are processes that exist that aren't necessarily always set up to address these direct contracts. And so the minute we change the process and an employee comes in with a card that doesn't look like the one they're used to at the front desk, we create disruption for the doctors. So you have to go through the exact same process of creating this case for change for the doctors and their offices so they understand what's in it for them. And the answer to that is more control over how they get to treat their patients and greater revenue, more time to spend with their patient population. But there are some bumps in the road in that they need to be able to handle a situation that their current EHR isn't necessarily built for and their current internal processes haven't been built for. So spending the time to educate them up front, create that raving fan in, yes, this is the right answer for medicine and for me, and then building out you know, those processes and the right technology support to ensure that providers can handle these direct contracts is, is incredibly important. Yeah. And just to put a fine point on that, I was just reading reviews of an innovative direct contract that somebody had set up. So there was a health plan that was offering 
a kind of an innovative service and, and did a direct contract with a number of different provider organizations. Employees go to those provider organizations and the front desk person says that she or he has never seen this card before. They have no idea what to do with it. It's like, okay, that's a fail right out of the gate. Everyone just lost. So there's certainly at a minimum a measure of training as part of this process that obviously didn't happen. You know, like this whole thing gets put into place with very little consideration relative to any sort of operational aspect. Exactly. I was just having a conversation about this with someone the other day, just talking about how so often in healthcare, it seems that operational considerations get ignored. Like, for example, the Mm -hmm. whole thing with, you know, team-based care, which is getting a really bad rap. Because if you just say, okay, we're going to work as a team, if you do that really (laughs) badly, then now we went from someone being accountable for the results or patient outcomes or patients in general to like no one being responsible. No one being accountable. (laughs) And then, yeah, everything suffers. Let me give you this other example. So think about it from this perspective. A patient comes in, the front desk figures out that yes, in fact, this is a, a directly contract patient. Great. However, the person who is doing the coding doesn't get that message. And so they code as fee-for-service as opposed to direct contract. And so all of a sudden, you've got this claim that is a fee-for-service claim in the HR getting sent out to the TPA. And you've got this mess on your hands when the claim gets denied, everybody's confused and frustrated. The patient is thinking, well, wait a minute this is supposed to be covered as a part of my direct contract. What, you know, what's going on here? So it's this really challenging situation where you want to ensure you are educating the operational folks, whether it's RevCycle or your front desk or, or whomever it is, so that they truly understand you're using a different model, whether it's, you know, a prospective payment or it's just a direct contract at percentage of Medicare or whatever the situation is, but ensuring that it's all flowing through the doctor's office appropriately and avoiding that headache for both the patient and the practice. It's a challenging situation that doesn't need to happen. <laughs> it's like an avoidable readmission, right? Like just doing doing it right up front can prevent these downstream headaches, which wind up taking five times as long mm-hmm. <laughs> than if it had just been sort of thought through up front from not only a what do we want to do standpoint, but from a how are we actually going to operationalize this? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to go through the five steps that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. So obviously, change management, it's a thing. It's a whole discipline. If someone is interested in the work that you are doing over at Translucent Healthcare Consulting, where would you direct them for more info? Translucenthc.com. Ashley Gunther, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you for the time. I really enjoyed it. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.